is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Everybody, Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. You know, this is going to be a very, very important hour in talk radio. We're going to go really, really deep on immigration. I did this many years ago, but I've added some new information and so forth as I do research for this program every day. And the reason we're going to do this is because there's a caravan, as you know, of potentially illegal immigrants heading from Honduras and maybe some other countries to the United States. And they have every expectation to be able to enter the United States, at which time they are caught. Uh, They are told that they have a court date with an administrative law judge. They are released. Typically, they're asked to come back in two years, and typically nobody shows up. That's the law right now. So in other words, you get in and you get to, <coughs> excuse me, and you get to stay. And the Mexican government's all for it. They barely lift a finger, because here's what they think. If we don't let them through, they're going to stop into our country. And Mexico has the power to stop them because their laws are different. Have you ever heard of a country as stupid as this one? I mean, honest to God, it's really the government as stupid as this one. And it wasn't always this way. There was a time when when even the so-called leading civil rights leaders of the immigrant community, of the Latino community, rejected this. Rejected it. In the 1960s, Cesar Chavez one of the main founders of the United Farm Workers, vehemently opposed illegal immigration, arguing it undermined his efforts to unionize farm workers and improve working conditions and wages for American citizens. And the United Farm Workers even reported illegal immigrants to the Immigration and Naturalization Service at the time, the INS. And in 1969, Chavez led a march accompanied by Ralph Abernathy, president of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, who'd been Martin Luther King's right-hand man, and Senator Walter Mondale, you may have heard of him, was vice president of the United States under Carter and wanted to be president in 1984. Well, he led a march, that is, Abernathy attended and Mondale, Chavez led it, along the border with Mexico, protesting the farmers' use of illegal immigrants. And he did an interview with KQED, Public TV, back in September 25, 1972. 1972. He was furious about illegal immigrants, undermining his civil rights effort and undermining his unionizing efforts. Cesar Chavez. And we have Cesar Chavez days all over the country. And Bill Clinton gave him the Medal of Freedom. And Barack Obama even talked about having a, uh, a holiday for Chavez. If not a formal holiday, but one that should be recognized for his birth. But I want you to listen very, very carefully to what Chavez had to say, Cesar Chavez, 
1972. Increase your volume. Cut 13, go. It's to really destroy the farm worker movement and to uh, destroy it in such a way that uh, uh, will take away the rights of the workers to do basically two very important things in order to defend themselves and win contracts. One is that it takes the right to strike from us and also takes the right of boycotting. Why do you need those rights? Well, what's so important about that? But you say uh, we maintain that agriculture is different. It's always been different. This is why agriculture and farm workers were never organized before. As long as we have a poor country uh, bordering California, it's going to be very difficult to win strikes uh, as strikes are won uh, normally by other unions. Uh, we have an employer, as is the case right now in one of the strikes we have with the, with the Butte Gas and Oil Company, where we've closed them down. They've been unable to get uh, strike breakers, or we've gotten very few. And then all of a sudden, yesterday morning, uh, they brought in 220 uh, wetbacks. Stop. They brought in 220 wetbacks. This is Cesar Chavez in 1972. Go ahead. From Mexico. Yeah, and he talks about illegals. Wetbacks and illegals to Mexico. Now, putting aside those derogatory terms, he, Abernathy, Mondale, that is the union movement, the Democrats, the civil rights movement viewed the importation of illegal aliens into this country as completely hostile to to their workers, to the people they claim to represent, and to the Democrat Party. 1972. Now I want to show you how this is all painted over. How this is all painted over. By those who rewrite history. This is from the History Channel. About Cesar Chavez. Cut 14, go. Cesar Estrada Chavez, an American civil rights activist and labor leader, was born in Yuma, Arizona on March 31st, 1927. The Chavez family lost their Arizona homestead in the Great Depression. And in the late 1930s moved to Northern California. Cesar and his family became migrant farm workers thrust into the industrialized agriculture of California. Cesar dropped out of school after the eighth grade to help support his family by working in the fields. Cesar joined the Navy right after World War II and he saw places he never would have seen. So it did open his eyes up to the world very much. After the Navy, Chavez returned to the fields and became a grassroots organizer for a Latino civil rights group. He then left the group and formed the National Farm Workers Association now known as the United Farm Workers of America, with the goal of unionizing farm workers. Caesar believed that the movement he founded had to be more than just a union that was solely concerned with improving wages, hours, and working conditions, although the UFW certainly did that. But it also needed to address the crippling dilemmas that farm workers face in the community after they came home from work. Most people were poor. They didn't have access to good housing or health care or education. Chavez was adamant that his new union follow a strict policy of using only nonviolent tactics as a means of negotiation. While the organization was still in its infancy, UFW embarked upon one of the most influential boycotts in U.S. history, the boycott of all California table grapes. The Great Boycott really took off in 68. Caesar had studied history. He knew that 
for 100 years, farm worker strikes were brutally crushed. And that. All right, that's enough. So it goes on and on about Cesar Chavez. Not once does it mention his vehement opposition to illegal immigrants coming into the country, what he called, not me, wetbacks. Not once. Not once did Bill Clinton mention that when he issued the Medal of Freedom. Not once did Barack Obama mention that when he would go around the country citing Cesar Chavez as a civil rights leader. Because they do not want you to know that the man most associated, primarily associated with the civil rights of Latinos in this country was vehemently opposed to illegal immigration, arguing it undermined his efforts to unionize and improve working conditions for American citizen workers, for American citizen workers who were working in the fields and the ranches and the farms. Was Cesar Chavez a racist? Was Cesar Chavez anti-immigrant? Jorge Ramos? Luis Gutierrez? Was he? No, he wasn't. And when you listen to what Cesar Chavez said on that KQED broadcast in 1972, Donald Trump has never said anything as derogatory as Cesar Chavez did. But Donald Trump's instincts about securing our border, having legal immigration, those are correct instincts. I strongly disagree with him in handing out, or he was, almost two million citizenship cards in effect. Now when we come back, this is very important, I think. I want to tell you about President Dwight Eisenhower. The rhinos cite him all the time. The Democrats cite him all the time as one of the great presidents. Mild-mannered, good temperament, good judgment, a moderate. They always cite him for his phrase, the military-industrial complex. Well, why, why don't they talk about his position on immigration? I just told you what Cesar Chavez's position was on illegal immigration. It's not taught in our schools. It's not reported on TV. But there it is. And neither is Eisenhower's, which I'll explain when we return. Mark Lovin. By the way, those of you who watched... uh, Life, Liberty, and Levin last night, 10 p.m. Sunday, Eastern Time. You saw a tremendous guest in uh, former Attorney General Ed Meese from the Reagan administration. He was absolutely outstanding. And those of you who may have forgotten to watch it, I can understand. Other than me on the radio, and I wasn't on the radio Friday because of Passover, and my social media links, and my buddy Dan Bongino, who filled in for me mentioning it, I don't believe I saw any promotion of it on Fox. So you're just going to have to remember 10 p.m. Sunday night on the, Eastern, on the East Coast and 7 p.m. Pacific and all the other times in between because I don't think you're going to be reminded of it much except by me. I don't know why. 
But I think you'll enjoy it. It's a very solid, smart show for solid, smart people like you in my audience. We'll get started with this. I'm not going to be able to finish it. But Dwight Eisenhower. I want you to think about not Dwight Eisenhower when I read this, but Donald Trump. And think about if Donald Trump did what Dwight Eisenhower did. And Dwight Eisenhower is considered a great president, and as I said, a moderate Republican, very temperate, got along with Democrats, the media liked him. The former editor of the Christian Science Monitor, way back, managing editor even, uh, in 2006, 12 years ago, he wrote how Eisenhower solved illegal border crossings from Mexico. He writes 53 years ago, which would be 65 years ago, when newly elected Dwight Eisenhower moved into the White House. America's southern frontier was as porous as a spaghetti sieve. As many as three million illegal migrants had walked and waded northward over a period of several years for jobs in California, Arizona, Texas, and points beyond. President Eisenhower cut off this illegal traffic. He did it quickly and decisively with only 1,075 United States Border Patrol agents. Less than one-tenth of today's force. I believe it's less than one-twentieth of today's force. The operation is still highly praised among veterans of the Border Patrol. Now, what did he do? The late Herbert Brownell Jr., Eisenhower's first attorney general, said in an interview with this writer, the president had a sense of urgency about illegal immigration when he took office. He said America was faced with a breakdown in law enforcement on a very large scale. When I say large scale, I mean hundreds of thousands were coming in from Mexico every year without restraint. Again, let's pretend this is Trump. Although an on and off guest worker program for Mexicans was operating at the time, farmers and ranchers in the Southwest had become dependent on an additional low cost, docile, illegal labor force of up to three million mostly Mexican laborers. According to the Handbook of Texas Online, published by the University of Texas at Austin and the Texas State Historical Association, this illegal workforce had a severe impact on the wages of ordinary working Americans. Now, let me stop here a moment. Cesar Chavez felt it did. Ralph Abernathy felt it did. Walter Mondale at the time felt it did. The unions in this country felt it did. But today we're told, no, it's not a big deal. They're not taking anybody's jobs away. They're doing jobs Americans won't do, right? Well, they didn't say that back then. Because trashing your own fellow Americans and the citizens of this country was bad politics and was false. But today it's good politics. Profits from illegal labor (laughs) led to the kind of corruption and apparently worried Eisenhower. Joseph White, a retired 21-year veteran of the Border Patrol, says that in early 1950s, Some senior U.S. officials overseeing immigration enforcement had friends among the ranchers, and agents did not dare to arrest their illegal workers. Walt Edwards, who joined the Border Patrol in 1951, tells a similar story. Bill Chambers, who worked for a combined 33 years for the Border Patrol, and the then-called U.S. Immigration and Naturalization Service, INS, says politically powerful people are still fueling the flow of illegals. Boy, they're not kidding the whole U.S. Chamber of Crony Capitalism. During the 1950s, however, this good old boy system changed under Eisenhower, if only for about 10 years. 
1954, Ike appointed retired General Joseph Jumpin' Joe Swing, a former West Point classmate and veteran of the 101st Airborne, as the new INS commissioner. Influential politicians, including Lyndon Johnson of Texas and Senator Pat McCarran of Nevada, and he was very powerful, favored open borders and were dead set against strong border enforcement, Brunel said. But General Swing's close connections to the president shielded him and the Border Patrol from meddling by powerful political and corporate interests. One of General Swing's first decisive actions was to transfer certain entrenched immigration officials out of the border area to other regions of the country, where their political connections with people such as Senator Johnson would have no effect. Then on June 17, 1954, what was called Operation Wetback, again, not my phrase, it began because political resistance was lower in California and Arizona at the time. The roundup of aliens began there. Some 750 agents swept northward through agriculture areas with a goal of 1,000 apprehensions a day. And by the end of July, over 50,000 aliens were caught in two states. Another 488,000 fearing arrest fled the country on their own. By mid-July, the crackdown extended northward into Utah, Nevada, and Idaho, and eastward to Texas. By September, 80,000 had been taken into custody in Texas, and an estimated half million to 700,000 illegals had left the Lone Star State on their own. I'm not done. I'll be right back. This is the show the New York Times is afraid of. Mark Levin, call him now at 877-381-3811. I'm going to get to this Hamas terrorist rioting and these attacks uh, next hour. The media are already, already involved in uh, spinning it, but uh, I'll deal with that in a moment. And so this piece will continue in the Christian Science Monitor by the former managing editor, So Eisenhower orders his general, who he puts in charge of uh, Immigration Naturalization Service, to round up the illegal aliens and move them out of the country as expeditiously as possible. So they move through California, Arizona, Texas. Word gets out, hundreds of thousands leave on their own. And the article goes on. Unlike today, Mexicans caught in the roundup were not simply released at the border where they could easily reenter the U.S., To discourage their return, General Swing arranged for buses and trains to take many aliens deep within Mexico before being set free. Tens of thousands were put aboard two hired ships, the Emancipation and the Mercurio. The ships ferried the the aliens from Port Isabel, Texas, to Veracruz, Mexico, more than 500 miles south. The sea voyage was a rough trip, and they didn't like it, says Don Kopak who worked his way up from Border Patrolman in 1941 to eventually the head of the Border Patrol from 1960 to 73. Kobach says he cannot understand why President Bush let today's problem get away from him as it has. This is a quote, I guess, was his compassionate conservatism, trying to please Mexican President Vicente Fox. There are now said to be 12 million to 20 million illegal aliens in the U.S. Now, this piece is 12 years old. The Mexicans who live here, an estimated 85%, are here illegally. Border Patrol vets offer tips on curbing illegal immigration. 
And they go on. And they go on. And their tips, while Congress debates building a fence on the border, these veterans say other actions that have higher priority. And the current practice of taking captured Mexican aliens to the border and releasing them. Instead, deport them into Mexico, where return to the U.S. would be more costly. Crack down hard on employers who hire illegals. Without jobs, the aliens won't come. And catch and release for non-Mexican aliens. It is common for illegal migrants, not from Mexico, to be set free after their arrest if they promise to appear later before a judge. Few show up. It's a problem that's continuing. The patrol veterans say enforcement could also be aided by a legalized guest worker program that permits Mexicans to register in their country for temporary jobs in the U.S. Amazing, isn't it? It's amazing the difference between then and now. The President of the United States can't even suggest building a wall. And then I want to remind you what Harry Reid said in 1993 on the floor of the Senate. 1993 on the floor of the Senate, consistent with Cesar Chavez, consistent with Walter Mondale, consistent with Ralph Abernathy, consistent with Dwight Eisenhower, consistent with Republicans and Democrats alike at the time, the vast majority of them anyway. Cut 15, go. If making it easy to be an illegal alien isn't enough, how about offering a reward for being an illegal immigrant? No no sane country would do that, right? Guess again. If you break our laws by entering this country without permission and give birth to a child, we reward that child with U.S. citizenship and guarantee of full access to all public and social services this society provides. And that's a lot of services. Is it any wonder that two-thirds of the babies born at taxpayer expense Country county-run hospitals in Los Angeles are born to illegal alien mothers. And Hillary Clinton in 2003, 2003, cut 16, go. And I am, you know, adamantly against illegal immigrants. I made this exception basically on humanitarian grounds because of the individual stories. But certainly we've got to do more at our borders. And people have to stop employing illegal immigrants. Come up to Westchester, go to Suffolk and Nassau County, stand in the street corners in Brooklyn or the Bronx. You're going to see loads of people waiting to get picked up to go do yard work and construction work and domestic work. A little over 14 years ago, Hillary Clinton. Now the Democrats have pivoted, and they have pivoted radically. As they've created these enclaves of sanctuary cities and sanctuary states. Where they defy federal law. Against the American citizen and for the illegal alien. Where they defy the federal government federal government that has the primary role in immigration under our constitutional system. It's right there in the Constitution. We actually have a mayor in Oakland who announces ahead of time when the feds are coming so the criminals in her city can escape detention and deportation. We now have leaders of the Democrat Party who block a president who wants to put up a border wall, consistent with Eisenhower, consistent with Walter Mondale, consistent with Chavez. The position Trump has taken on the border 
is the most consistent, historically accurate position. Not this current one of open borders. That's a relatively new idea. And to pass a spending bill that spends more money than any time in American history, the biggest increase in domestic spending in modern American history, to intentionally exclude the building of a physical wall, to intentionally exclude the ability of the Border Patrol to do their jobs, is a nation gone mad. A nation gone mad. And why? Because the Democrat Party has changed. The Democrat Party has decided that this is the future or that they're going to make it the future. That by importing as many people as possible, let's be honest, from the third world, by importing as many poor people as possible, by importing as many illiterate people as possible, illiterate in their own native or home languages, is the best way to gain control. They know it. They've said it. And the fact is, that's exactly what's taken place in this country. 30 years ago, the question was, and I remember it, can the Democrats ever win the presidency again after Reagan? They looked at the population of the country. They looked at the electoral college. We didn't call them red states back then. A nomenclature that really fits the Democrats. I mean, after all, they're the reds. The question was, could the Democrats ever win the presidency again? And the Democrats decided, no, we can't. Unless we change the voter. No, we can't, unless we change the citizenry. And do it in a very strategic way, as they did with Colorado. And Nevada. And other states. Virginia. Deep, so-called red states. And they succeeded. As I've said to you many times, the Democrats wouldn't be pushing this if it didn't benefit them. They never push anything that doesn't benefit them. It's party first. Like the Communist Party in many ways. It's party first. Government second. Country third. Our immigration policies are not immigration policies. They are Democrat Party policies that have been enshrined by the judiciary and others into our immigration system. Our immigration laws are being enforced as best they can be by ICE and the Border Patrol, by this president and the Justice Department. But they're being undone, unraveled, undermined throughout the country. Not by Republicans. By Democrats. By Democrat mayors, Democrat city councils, Democrat legislatures, Democrat governors. Lawlessness. Absolute lawlessness. Not for the good of the country. Not for the good of the men and women who are in this country now, legally, who are the far- working the farms and the fields and so forth and so on. 
as Cesar Chavez pointed out, as Mondale pointed out, as Abernathy pointed out, and all the rest. They don't matter to the modern Democrat Party. Oh, yes. They wear that as a fig leaf. But this party is about power and holding on to power and exercising power and draining resources out of the private sector and running it through its party into the government where it can then hand largesse. In many ways, the Democrat Party on the national scene is like a Democrat Party in a big city where they hand out grants and contracts at the federal level to left-wing organizations and community groups and advocacy groups and all the rest who support the Democrat Party. More and more, that's what we become. Immigration. The purpose of immigration today is to empower the Democrat Party. And the damn fools at the U.S. Chamber of Crony Capitalism Damn fools like Lindsey Graham and the rest. They figure they'll get some benefit out of it. Graham wants to be ahead of the parade. The moron doesn't understand he's being trampled by the parade. U.S. Chamber of Crony Capitalism. Just remember, so many in corporate America have no principles. They would use the government to destroy their competition any day of the week. Those aren't capitalists. Those are crony capitalists. And they've all gotten together, not necessarily officially, but to push the same agenda. And the only people who oppose this are the American people. And because we oppose this, we are racists. We're xenophobes. There's something wrong with us. I know this because Charles Barkley just said so. There's something wrong with us. Yet you and I, we're not trying to protect white people any more than Cesar Chavez was trying to protect white people. He was trying to protect his people. Any more than Ralph Abernathy was trying to protect white people. He was trying to protect his people. Any more than Walter Mondale was trying to protect white people. He was trying to protect his union members and supporters. You and me, we just know what's good for the country, regardless of race, regardless of religion, regardless of any of it. America cannot sustain this. It's either we get back to law and order, or we let the Democrat Party destroy the country. Now we have a caravan moving up from Honduras. What a spectacle! They wouldn't be moving up from Honduras if they didn't think most of them could get into this country. And most of them may well. And the Democrat Party wants them to. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. just learned that data from Saks Fifth Avenue and Lord & Taylor were breached, exposing consumers' financial information yet again. Facebook shared information on 50 million users. There have been breaches at FedEx, Equifax, Aetna, Expedia. You know, nearly every week, personal information is compromised somewhere. 
So listen, if you go online or use credit cards, you're also very vulnerable. Now, I'm not taking chances. I'm covered by my ID care. I have upgraded to my ID care, and so is my family. Get covered now for less than 10 bucks a month at myidcare.com. Use promo code MARK, and you'll even get 15% off. Myidcare.com, promo code MARK, or call 866-334-3084. That's an exclusive toll-free line for this show. I'm serious. They didn't have one before I said, we need a toll-free line for this show. We have a lot of people in our cars. 866-334-3084. One more time. 866-334-3084 or myidcare.com, promo code MARK. Now, my ID care covers my family from nine types of identity theft and provides a 100% identity recovery guarantee if a customer does fall victim. Or your money back. Now, you can't get this level of protection anywhere else. Trust who we trust. Trust who I trust. Learn more. Get 15% off myidcare.com, promo code MARK, or call 866-334-3084, All right, let us go to a disagreeable. Steve, Springfield, Missouri, the great W, excuse me, KSGF, go. Hi, Mark. It seems to me that, you know, talking about what Cesar Chavez said, decades ago or robert bird said decades ago i didn't even quote robert bird you haven't today but i listen to your show a lot but i rarely quote when's the last time i quoted robert bird oh anyway pal what's your point um, but let's just stick with chavez yeah let's do that uh you know what he said decades ago 50 60 years ago is just a distraction from the fact that Republicans have ended 1972 up on the wrong side is 45 years ago. But anyway, go ahead. What about Republicans? Immigration, when it comes to civil rights, the Republicans find themselves on the wrong side of the Well, issue. you know what, pal? You're a fool and a fraud. First Civil Rights Acts were passed by Republicans after the Civil War. The second batch of Civil Rights Acts were passed under uh, Dwight Eisenhower uh, starting in 1957, the first Civil Rights Act, the seventh, second Civil Rights Act was 1960. The 64 Civil Rights Act required a vast majority of the Republicans to stop your party. Uh, the 65 Voting Rights Act required a vast majority of Republicans again to overcome your party. And if you think today, opening our doors wide to foreigners coming into the country, undermining jobs, particularly of low-skilled people, in our cities and in our communities and in our rural areas is a big civil rights advance. You're wrong. Well, once again... Yours is the party of slavery, pal. Yours is the party of segregation. Yours is the party of Jim Crow. And the Republican Party was created to fight your party. And it does a damn poor job of it. The Republican Party was created to fight slavery, to fight segregation, to fight your... uh, Uh, the Jim Crow laws and so forth and so on, and now conservatives are left to fight for individual liberty, a colorblind society, and constitutional government. Wow. I get off the phone, moron. Wow. And don't bring up history ever to the Democrats. Because their history sucks. That's why. Don't ever bring up history to the Democrats. 
When they talk about Trump and well, what's the woman's name? Uh, uh, Stormy Daniels. Says, Don't ever bring up John Kennedy's past or Robert Kennedy's past or Lyndon Johnson's past or any Democrat. No, 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 no. Just stick to today. In other words, stick to what the Democrats insist that you listen to because they get to decide the reality in this country. Well, I don't buy it and I'm never going to buy it. And history is what we stand on, ladies and gentlemen, because despite their best efforts to spin it and rewrite it, that's their history. Chavez's position, Abernathy's position, Mondale's position, yes, that's them. I'll be right back. Do you wake up in the morning feeling sluggish and have to drag yourself through your day? Do you feel bloated, tired, and out of shape? Eating healthy is a habit, but most of us don't really know exactly what we should be eating, right? How much we should be eating and how to properly prepare it. This is why I drink Field of Greens every morning before I start my day. Just one scoop of Field of Greens has a full serving of real USDA certified organic fruits and vegetables. Helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. Now this is real food, not some fake supplement lab powder. Just read the Nutrition Facts panel on the side. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com and get 15% off your first order with the offer code LEVIN. Now, you know you're not going to start cooking fresh fruits and vegetables, so let's not pretend. Just get one full cup of fruits and one full cup of vegetables every day with Field of Greens. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com, BrickHouse, L-E-V-I-N.com, offer code LEVIN. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877 877-381-3811. Now don't be a knucklehead and call this show and tell me not to talk about the history of the Democrat Party. We'll talk about the history of the Democrat Party. We'll talk about the Democrat Party. We need to expose it each and every day. I just saw Carl Rove announce that the House has quite an agenda going, including voting on a balanced budget amendment. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if you fall for that one now after they just voted for the biggest spending bill in modern history, uh, then I don't even know why you listen to this show. Why don't they just balance the budget? They don't have to vote for a balanced budget amendment. They run the damn House of Representatives, where all the spending bills come from, all the tax bills come from. They're going to pass or vote on. They're not even going to pass a, a balanced budget amendment? To what? Tell themselves to balance the budget? Is this a joke? Yes, it's a joke, and they're a joke. And if you have a primary going on in your town, you know what to do. Throw the bum out. And don't start contacting me, all you people running in primaries, like I should have 400 candidates on my radio show. It's not what we do here. A couple here and there who I happen to know and like, but no, we're not, this isn't a conga line uh, uh, experience here. Now, the media are truly disgusting. You already know that, but they're truly disgusting. 
Israel's minding its own business. The Jewish people in Israel are preparing for Passover. They're preparing for Passover. The Christians in Israel are preparing for Easter. And they're attacked. That's what took place on the border with Gaza. And there's your two-state solution. Gaza was given to the Palestinians. Okay, here, take this land, see what you do with it. What do they do with it? A terrorist group runs it. They shoot missiles into Israel. They build tunnels into Israel to try and slaughter people. There's your two-state solution, which is the final solution. So, you have these terrorist groups in Gaza now, including Hamas, but Islamic Jihad as well. So Hamas, as Noah Pollock points out at Free Beacon, Hamas, which is a terrorist group, sends more than 20,000 civilians to the border and intermixes them with their terrorist cells. And they try to infiltrate the Israeli side of the border. They try to put explosives on the Israeli side of the border. They attack IDF soldiers, Israeli soldiers. 18 are now dead. A majority of them, members of Hamas and the Islamic Jihad. Now, you wouldn't know that watching TV tonight. You wouldn't know that watching Jake Tapper on CNN. You wouldn't know that on any of the cable shows, frankly. What you get are pictures of people who are shot in Gaza. The UN, the Europeans, the Arabs, all attacking the victims. Who are the Israelis? And they're going to do this, you see, right until the middle of May. You know why? You know what's in the middle of May? It's the 70th anniversary of the establishment of the State of Israel. So they're going to do this for the next many weeks. And the UN and the European Union wants Israel to agree to an investigation into their tactics. And their Prime Minister... Netanyahu said, no, I don't think so. That's not going to happen. We know where you people in the UN bureaucracy, the EU bureaucracy, you know, we know what you people stand for, and you stand against us. And you stand against us. And so Israel's simply defending itself. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think the Israelis would like to change, like to change uh, the countries on its borders, with the countries on our borders? You think they'd like to have Canada as a neighbor, or even Mexico, given all the problems even with Mexico, instead of, say, Syria, or Lebanon, and so forth? Yeah, I think they would. Now, another interesting thing to keep in mind about this, you notice Hamas, Islamic Jihad, You notice where they don't protest. Egypt. Egypt is on their border. You want to know why? They didn't send 20,000 citizens and a bunch of terrorist cells to do to Egypt what they did to Israel over the weekend? Because Egypt wouldn't give a second thought about using maximum military force. 
against these so-called refugees. And by the way, unlike the Israelis, who truck in tons of food, tons of material, who have an electric power plant that provides electricity to the Gaza Strip. The Egyptians have cut off everything. Everything. All material, food, and so forth. Because they refuse to put up with this. So they don't protest against Egypt. Israel allows goods to cross. The Egyptians do not. And the Egyptians barely allow anyone to leave Gaza. The Israelis do. But you see, this isn't about humanitarian conditions in Gaza. This isn't about humanitarian conditions in Gaza. It's called the March to Return. But our media in this country don't even pay attention to it. They call it themselves the March to Return for Palestinian refugees. Or the great-grandchildren of refugees. That's not what the Israelis are saying. That's what the Palestinians are saying. They called it the march to return. So all of us know what's going on here, right? Hamas, they figure a few dead here and there. That's the price to pay for our PR victories on CNN and MSNBC and the New York Times and the Washington Post and all the rest of it. Bernie Sanders was on Face the Nation. Bernie Sanders was on Face the Nation. You'll remember at the Democrat convention, they had the Palestinian flag. I didn't see the Israeli flag there. I don't even know if I saw the American flag. Maybe it was there. I don't know. But Bernie Sanders was on Face the Nation, and he is illustrative of the hard left in this country, in the Democrat Party. So the crackpot from Missouri didn't want me to talk about the Democrat Party's past. Let me talk about the Democrat Party's future. The deputy chairman of the Democrat National Committee is Keith Ellison, or as he used to call himself, Keith X, who worked with and for Farrakhan, even though he tries to rewrite his history. He said many, many anti-Semitic things in addition to many anti-American things. And they often go hand in hand, by the way. If you hate your own country, you typically hate Israel, too. But Bernie Sanders, and I'll say this as a Jew, is, uh, is disgusting beyond belief. He's a self-hating Jew, in my view. As most communists were and are. As most communists were and are. If they're Jewish. So Bernie Sanders is on Face the Nation. And Margaret Brennan asks him about what's taking place on the Gaza Strip, on the border with Israel. Cut one, go. Sir, you have been critical of the Israeli government's decision to use lethal force against Palestinian demonstrators, killing 15, wounding over 700. The Trump administration has stopped short of calling on Israel for restraint. Should they explicitly do so? Now let's stop here. Israel has shown restraint. As I said, this is exactly why they don't do this to the Egyptians, the Palestinians. Would we tolerate this on our southern or northern border, folks? Would we tolerate this kind of activity? Terrorists trying to come into this country? 
terrorist cells just south of the border? Would we not go in there and blow them to kingdom come? Yes, we would, and we should. The IDF, the Israeli government, is the most militarily restrained, probably on the face of the earth. I wouldn't be this restrained. But look how the world jumps all over them. And not just the world. Bernie Sanders, one of the leaders of the Democrat Party. Go ahead. Yes, they should. Look, uh, Gaza, as I think everybody knows, is a humanitarian disaster. That's not why. That's not why they took up arms, Bernie. It doesn't matter to Bernie. That's not why they took up arms. They called it the March to Return, not the Humanitarian March. The timing was purposeful. Passover and Easter to grab the world's attention. It wasn't a humanitarian march, Bernie. And if Hamas was about humanitarianism, why are they on our terrorist list in this country? They're not about humanitarianism. Why are they building tunnels? Why are they working with Hezbollah? And Islamic Jihad? But, you know, go ahead. Employment right there is beyond comprehension, uh, and there is just enormous unrest. What the function of the United States government should be right now is to sit down with the Israelis, sit down with the Palestinians, and figure out how we can rebuild Gaza. This man is a fool. Just to show you how crazy the situation is, the Israelis send in cement and steel. We pay for cement and steel to go into the Gaza Strip. You know who controls the cement and steel, Mr. Producer? Hamas! You know what they do with a lot of the cement and steel? They build those tunnels. The tunnels that have as their purpose to allow terrorists to sneak into the Israeli towns and kill their kids. Now, surely Bernie Sanders must know this. Go ahead. Also, to tell the Israelis that when you've got tens and tens of thousands of people protesting, they cannot overreact. Really? What about Hamas and Islamic Jihad? If the Israelis listened to Bernie Sanders, they would cease to exist. See, there have always been people like Bernie Sanders. Always. Self-haters, appeasers. There have always been people like Bernie Sanders. And if you seek to survive as a nation, state, you better ignore him. You better ignore him. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. of the companies that uh, were advertising a Laura Ingram show and then uh, buckled under. I'm trying to see here. Johnson & Johnson, Liberty Mutual, Office Depot, Expedia, Nestle, Hulu. I think there's some others too. You know, I addressed this last week. 
I don't communicate with Laura Ingram. I don't communicate with a lot of these folks. I really don't. This is a different kind of business. I have my friends, and then there are others. And as you know, I talked about this before. And my view of this is quite simple. I don't believe in leading boycotts. I don't believe in leading boycotts. I believe in speech as much as possible. But if people want to boycott, they're free to boycott. But you're free to boycott too. And maybe you should go online and see the list of businesses that have been influenced, not so much by this kid Hogg, he can't lead a boycott on his own, but by the left-wing groups funded by Soros, among others, Media Matters, Think Progress, I think, is another one, and so the usual suspects who get behind these boycotts to try and drive people out of business. These are old Soviet techniques. They say, well, this is pure democracy at work. Not really. Nobody's voting. Oh, yes, you're voting with your dollars. No, you're pressuring these companies. And many of these companies will buckle. Many of these companies will buckle. So rather than duking it out on the issues, rather than duking it out, we get these boycotts. And it's mostly these leftist groups funded by Soros and other billionaires and millionaires. And it's interesting that it's aimed at one network. It's aimed at Fox. It's aimed at Fox. Have there been sexual harassment claims on CNN? Yes. Have there been sexual harassment claims on MSNBC? Yes. Have there been boycotts of certain shows? Like this Mark Halpern was on the uh, Scarborough show, The Morning Schmo. Did anybody lead a boycott against The Morning Schmo show? No. Well, why not? Al Sharpton's on MSNBC. Anybody lead a boycott against his advertisers? No. How about over there on CNN? Anybody lead a boycott against any of their advertisers? No. But Fox, it's constant. About every six months, Hannity's targeted because they don't like something he said or something on his show or something like that. Ingram's targeted because of a tweet. Because of a tweet. Now these Soviet tactics, if they think they're going to cause people to buckle under and all of a sudden go silent when it comes to the Bill of Rights and the Second Amendment, they're wrong. And I think there's a building fury out there on the right. I think there's a building fury among conservatives. People who are so pissed off at these kinds of bully tactics. I mean, ladies and gentlemen, we don't represent 2% of the population. Ronald Reagan said in 1976, we're the majority. Our values are the majority. Our beliefs are the majority. Our principles are the majority. Whether people show up to vote or not, it's a totally different question. And we don't have to act. Like cowards. 
And I think there is a building fury in this country. I really do. That these other television networks, these other cable shows, these organizations, these billionaires and millionaires, sleazy, operating in the shadows, that they're going to regret what they unleash one day. I'm not talking about violence. That's the left. I'm talking about a powerful political movement. I'll be back. This is the nation's town hall meeting. And you can join in at 877-381-3811. You know, you keep getting those invitations in your mailbox. In fact, you may have even already joined. Now, you've got that AARP card. You thought, hey, it's less than 20 bucks a year. They help with insurance plans, travel, other discounts. It'll pay for itself 10 times over. And so you joined. You joined a liberal lobbying group that spends your hard-earned dollars lobbying against what you believe in and stand for. That's why a decade ago, Dan Weber founded AMAC. AMAC is also less than 20 bucks a year. AMAC also helps with insurance plans, travel, and other discounts. An AMAC card will also pay for itself 10 times over. But when you choose AMAC, your dollars go to support the ideas that you believe in, like protecting our borders, like sensible immigration laws, like getting rid of Obamacare, and more. AMAC gets its voice from you, the member. Over a million strong now. Join now. AMAC.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Chances are you're going to join an organization when you turn 50. Choose wisely. Join the one that represents you. Join AMAC today. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Great organization. All right, there's a lot on the table. Let's see who's out there, shall we? Dave, Chicago, Illinois, on the Mark Levin app. How are you, Dave? Mark, it's great to talk to you. Thank you, sir. I I am your student, a long-time listener, first-time caller. Thank you. I am getting out of communist state of Chicago soon. You're getting what now? I couldn't hear. Getting out of the communist state of Chicago. You mean Illinois or the city of Chicago? Yeah. Yeah, yeah the whole the whole nine yards. Yeah, where, where are you going? Uh, on the road trucking. So you're going to be or are a trucker? I'm uh, going to be. Okay. But what I wanted to say was I've been a fighter all my life. I'm a white guy in Englewood. VA, I've been preaching your uh, constitutional class. Sir, mind. sir, I'm having difficulty following you. Mr. Call Screener, uh, take his number and we'll call him back tomorrow, okay? I'm not really following this. Let's go to Gail, Malvern, Pennsylvania, the great WNTP. Go. Mark, um, yes, it's always a pleasure listening to you. I'm such a long time listener. Thank and you. you were talking about Israel, and it's infuriating to me how uh, the Democrat Party 
and many um, actually Jewish Democrats are very pro-Palestinian and anti-Israel. And I think we need to thank God that President Trump is working Mm -hmm. closely with Israel now, because not only can we help Israel, but the state of our weaponry is in many ways not as advanced as Israel. And it's my understanding that they are helping us with various weaponry. Well, let, let me let me let me just say this. Trump is not only a better American than Bernie Sanders, he's a better Jew than Bernie Sanders. So let's state that. That's number one. Number two, Jewish, our fellow Jews who are in the Democrat Party have some soul searching to do right now. Because the deputy chairman of their party is a hater and always has been. And their party obviously has uh, in many respects turned on that country as it has in many respects turned on our own country. So, uh, you know, we're not allowed to talk about the history of the Democrat Party. You heard the caller in the first hour. I say we talk about the here and now and the future of the Democrat Party. Yes. Yes. Now, in terms of stealth, uh, we invented stealth in the 1970s. We... Took a long time to perfect it, as it takes a long time to perfect everything, just as we're now trying to perfect laser weapons, which is crucially important, uh, given the hypersonic technology now that the Russians and the Chinese, in my view, have jointly uh, produced and will be able to put into the uh, battlefield. So we're going to need to produce laser weapons, too. Uh, Israel's technology is quite amazing, given the size of that country. Uh, It exports its technology to its allies and its friends as well. But stealth... Stealth is ours. Now, if you want to talk about drones, uh, the first drones were developed by the Israelis. And, of course, uh, we worked with them and they with us to perfect them. All right, Gail, thanks for your call. Gina, Roswell, New Mexico. (laughs) Hi, how are you doing, Mark? On K-51. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) K-E-N-D, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing good. You're brilliant, Mark. I love listening to you. Well, you're kind. I don't know about that, but thank you. Um, I don't know if a lot of people know that Palestine was created by Yasser Arafat after the Six-Day War. The Palestinian people. Palestine was just referred <clears> to... <throat> oh, no, no I've talked a, about that. The name is a complete fabrication. The name is a complete fabrication. These are Arabs who call themselves Palestinians. Absolutely. They're, they're made up. Yes. They didn't exist. They never had, they never had a... Well, they a, existed as Arabs. But they were not. But they didn't exist as Palestinians again. Again, that was a name that that they uh, labeled themselves with. That's right. Mm-hmm. I don't even All know right, if the Palestinian fr- people today know that they were invented. I don't even know if they know it. But yeah. Okay, the people were not invented. I'm trying to. I'm trying to to, to make the point. The name was invented. Palestinian people was invented. All right. It, thanks for your call. I, I'm, Deborah, Winston-Salem, North Carolina, Sirius Satellite, go. Hi, Mark. I just wanted to say that I had an idea for illegal aliens. And I think that every one of them within the next year should go to a government agency, register to become legal, but they can only be legal if they truly support 100% their own families. They can't get any subsidies from the government 
and then they register to be legal. If we're supporting them in any way, they go back to Mexico where Mexico can support Well, you've them. got a lot of things in there that I don't see how we could possibly enforce and know. We don't have enough people to keep watch to make sure they're supporting their families. We don't. <clears throat> we have a lot of citizens in this country who don't support their families. See, I go back to first principles. I don't care if you're here illegally whether you support your family or not. You broke the law. I tell and, then, you. and then we have to start doing things that are politically doable. Like the 45% of the people who are here who violated their visa status, who are not four years old, they need to get the hell out of here. And they need to be deported. There is absolutely no justification for them. So that's low-hanging fruit, if you ask me. Then the criminals, they need to get out of here. Then people who claim to be dreamers, I was brought here when I was, in a, if you're 30-some years old, out of here. There's a lot of, 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 of layers to this which can be addressed. But if you're saying if they support their families, if they do this and that, and you get massive bureaucracy, it's overwhelmed. I don't even know how you track that down. So it's not doable. It really isn't, I don't think. <clears throat> well, I was thinking of, and, and honest, honestly, I believe they should all go back. They committed a crime. They also steal identity. Well, listen, even the president doesn't believe that anymore. He was prepared to give 1.8 million people citizenship. So that's not going to happen. Neither party is going to do it. Neither. It just saddens me that our country has resorted to this. Mm-hmm. They should go back to Mexico and let Mexico support them, not okay. America. Thank you for your call. Well, unfortunately... In many ways, that's just not going to happen. The president supported amnesty for 1.8 million people. Now, he says he took it off the table, but he said what he said. Um, he's willing to do that. The Democrats want more. Now, that 1.8 million who, gave out, who would have gotten amnesty and citizenship would have led to 11 million. 11 million with chain migration. 11 million. Well, he wanted to get rid of chain migration. Yeah, but that's grandfathered in. That's going forward. So, uh, really, both parties are absolutely disastrous, in my humble opinion. Mark, Keystone Heights, Florida, the great WSKY. Go! Hey, this is Mark Maxwell, and I just wanted to say, why don't we come up with a nonprofit fund to build the wall then there wouldn't be all these people arguing about wasting the money. We could have, like, on your... Well, I'll tell you why. Because a lot of the land is not owned by the government. A lot of it's in private hands. Matter of fact, half of it's in private hands, give or take. And so you don't have the power as a private organization to access that land. And if somebody somebody doesn't want to sell it, you're not going to get it. Right. So what what you're saying is we're not going to be able to get a wall anyway. Even if we could come up with the funding or the ability to do it. No, if we come up with the funding, the federal government has the power to, uh, to give market value for the land. But if you want to give market value for the land, it's like, so what? I'm a rancher. I'm not selling. So, yes, you're going to have to condemn land across the border, give people market value for it. Uh, but you and I and the private nonprofit group can't do that. Mm, it seems like if we had the money, though, and we had the means for the government to do 
eminent domain or something like that. I just said that. The the federal government can do eminent domain, can condemn it, can pay market value if it chooses. Either way, well, you and I don't have that power. We don't, but uh, I don't know. I just keep hearing the Democrats say about <laughs> wasting the money, so I figured if there was a way to for the people that really wanted the wall to pay for the wall, that would keep... And you really think that's what they're concerned about, Democrats wasting money? I don't, but that would shut their argument up, I think. But it won't matter. They don't care. They'll move on to the next argument. Well, you might be right there on that point. The problem is we don't have, we don't have Republicans who will fight this. That's true. I mean, you run, it, you run into the, the Jeff Flakes, you run into the Lindsey Grahams, the Cory Gardners. It's, it's a disgrace. Absolute disgrace that we cannot get a significant majority in the House and the Senate uh, to defend our borders. And uh, we're one of the few, we may be the only country that conducts itself this way. Unless you're a a failing country like Germany or a failing country like, like France or a failing country like Britain, whose best days are long behind them. I just want to make sure our best days aren't behind us. Right, me too. That's why I was trying to come up with an idea to uh, to help build the wall. <clears throat> All right, my friend. Appreciate your call. Very thoughtful. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Hillsdale College is educating millions of Americans on freedom and the Constitution, economics, history, and other areas through their free online courses. Many of you have taken one. They also teach congressional staff and other leaders constitutional principles at the Hillsdale Kirby Center in Washington, D.C. And I'm sure you've heard how Hillsdale's partnering with charter schools, too, and how every student on their main campus is required to study the Constitution, regardless of whether they major in music, Chemistry, mathematics, English, or anything else. Now, Hillsdale does all this as part of their mission to help all Americans pursue truth and defend liberty, to help Americans become better citizens and to preserve freedom. Now they're sending a copy of the Constitution and Declaration to every middle and high public school principal in America, along with an offer to provide free copies for every student. Learn how you can help in this effort. And how you can get your own copy of Hillsdale's Pocket Constitution to keep or give away at levinforhillsdale.com. That's levinforhillsdale.com. L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. If you've never checked out their website, it is tremendous. If you're looking for informative sources, if you're looking for information to share with your children... And so much more. Check it out. LevinforHillsdale.com. L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. It is a tremendous school. It's doing wonderful, wonderful things for us, for our country. Let us continue. Ashley, Westerly, Rhode Island on the Mark Levin app. How are you? Hi, Mark. This is Ashley. I can't even tell you how... Excited I am to talk to you. I am your Thank biggest you. fan. Unbelievably, believe me. Thank you. I, I came across you from another post and I'm not gonna go into details. Yeah. All I have to say all I have to say is you ha- that person has followers, Mark, you have listeners. Okay? I don't get you. you in my I don't get you in my town, but I listen to you on your app. Yes. I have three kids, they're all in middle school 
and I'm trying really hard to raise it as conservatives in Rhode Island, but it's really it's hard. It's a tough state. No, I know. It's a tough state, but good fish. What bothers me right now is that people, I'm 33, people my age and also the younger generation, they're, they're finding that socialism is cool again. And I don't understand how that's happening, Mark. How is, how is socialism moving away from communism? You know, I'll, t- I'll tell you why. Because number one, they're indoctrinated to the point. Number two, it's groupthink. Number three, they haven't really experienced it. You know, they live uh, they live in a society that hasn't gone fully aggressively socialism. Although we're definitely in that trajectory, uh, so they can still experience freedom. And so, as an abstraction or a theory, it's very cool. You can live kind of in one world while preaching kind of another world. This is what Bernie Sanders does. But if you look at Venezuela, people say, well, we're not talking about Venezuela. You know, Bernie Sanders used to think what was going on in Venezuela is cool. Now he never talks about it. Hollywood thought it was cool. Now they never talk about it. People are dying. There's mayhem. There's mass murder in Caracas. People are eating their pets. People are walking around the streets with baseball clubs and sticks, just looking for anything they can. Squirrels, rabbits, whatever, snakes. Uh, you've got gangs roaming. This was a civilized, prospering society, Venezuela was. And so uh, if these kids live there for about a month, they get the point. But it's it's quite a different thing to live in America and promote and, and embrace an abstraction or a theory uh, of this utopian notion of socialism or communism, when in fact that theory is bleak and destructive. Yeah, Mark, my kids know nothing about Trump. They, I'm teaching them. I'm teaching them about <clears throat> conservative values. But they came home saying, I hate Trump. And I don't even know where they got it from. Because we don't watch the news in my house because of the propaganda. We listen to the well, radio. one of two places. They got it from a teacher or they got it from uh, other students. It's just, it's become this thing. It's, there's no rhyme or reason or rationality to it. And I just want to thank you so much for educating me every single day. When you're not on the air, I I get sad. Like, I look forward oh, to hearing you. When I'm cooking well, my supper you. for the kids, I look forward to hearing you every day. And I well, just want you. to say thank you and never stop because you're, like, awesome. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, aren't you sounds, sweet? You're very that kind. That unintelligent, but you really are. So that's Not to me. All right. No. Listen, Ashley, don't hang up. We're going to send you. Send Ashley... Mr. Producer, do we have any of our kids' books there? Send her a bunch of them for her kids. All right, Ashley, thanks very much. You take care of yourself. Let us go to Jane. We have a lot of women callers tonight. In Asheville, North Carolina, XM Satellite. Go. Thank you for taking my call, sir. You are the most knowledgeable person on Fox Radio, bar none. Thank you. One of the problems that I think we are avoiding in this country regarding immigration, what about the people who've done it the right way? People are paying thousands and thousands of dollars Mm -hmm. to become legal. How is it fair for them? You're so right, Jane. You're so right. It is unjust. Nobody seems to care about them, do they? Thank you for your call, Jane. I'll be right back. Broadcasting from 
from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. I will be seeing the movie Chappaquiddick this weekend with my wife. I don't see a lot of movies. I see movies that I believe will be very interesting to me, like Darkest Hour, which I thought was a great movie about Churchill, and Chappaquiddick. And you should see it, too, because there will be efforts all over the country to boycott it, because that's what the left does. Now, I've been thinking about this, these boycotts, such as the boycott against Laura Ingram. And Ingram is a smart lawyer. But there are ways to fight back. First of all, you folks can fight back. At the companies that drop her as advertisers, you let them know that you're not going to use them. You're not going to use them anymore. The alternatives to all companies, including Amazon, by the way. And the president's doing a hell of a job driving down the value of their stock market today. I wish he'd cut it out. There's nothing wrong with Amazon. All of you use Amazon. All of you like Amazon. There's nothing wrong with Amazon. There's a lot of problems in this country and a lot of problems in this world. That's not one of them. It's not one of them. I've used Amazon twice today. And I'll keep using it. Just as the left wants to control the Internet. Keep the government out of the Internet. Keep the government out of Amazon. We'll do just fine. But these boycotts. When my buddy Sean was being boycotted, and I said it publicly, you should consider bringing a major lawsuit. What you have here really is an effort by these nonprofit organizations these political front groups, these surrogates of the left, supported by billionaires and millionaire donors, to put people out of business. To put people out of business. Not to engage in debate. And there are tort claims for that. There are tort claims for that. If your goal is to put somebody out of business... There's a phrase, and you can, you can look it up, the tortious interference with our business practices. And there's now a pattern developing with Media Matters and Think Progress, I believe it is, and some of these other groups that are funded by Soros and other billionaires and millionaires. There's now a pattern taking place where it's obvious that they have as their objective to interfere with the business activity of a cable network, to interfere with the business activity of a talk show host, and so forth. And when you bring a civil suit like that, you get to conduct depositions. You get document discoveries. You get to look at donor lists. You get to look at texts, emails. And so I've said many times, anybody tries this with me, that's exactly what I'm going to do. 
And I think that's what other hosts and other media platforms should seriously consider. That this is not really about speech, but it's actually anti-speech. And that you have these organizations that pounce for ideological reasons and try and put you out of business. Again, tortious interference with your contract, tortious interference with your advertisers, tortious interference with your business. And you can conduct very extensive discovery. Now, that's not only pleasurable, having conducted discovery myself in the past, having depositions for two or three or four days, very pleasurable, particularly when you're taking the deposition. But you'll get access to a Trevor Trove of, treasure trove, rather, of information that can expose this behind-the-scenes network that takes place. And even the donors. If the court allows it, what have the donors been told? In order to entice them to provide money to Media Matters or these other groups, have they been told that they're going to target your business, target your show, target a cable network? That's good evidence. And, of course, the damages are significant. And not only are the entities potentially liable for damages, like one of these nonprofit or front groups or whatever, so are the individuals. So are the individuals. And as I said last hour, I believe there's a fury growing in this country. Not that everybody agrees with everything, but they're sick and tired of these tactics. Whether it's a 17-year-old kid uh, with his uh, positions being promoted by the hard left in order to put somebody out of business, or whether it's an organization out front, the, the outcome is the same. The outcome is the same. So while people are absolutely free to conduct boycotts, people are absolutely free to defend themselves and to fight back. And there are enough legal groups, conservative legal groups, and there's enough law firms and lawyers, not necessarily conservative, but who believe in, uh, in civil liberties, where I can see where this can be done. Well, I see where this can be done. Anyway, that's something I've been thinking about. Um, let's see here. What did I want to see? You know, there's stuff here about Joe Scarborough and Mika Brzezinski. These are two really, really nasty, inane, moronic human beings. If they didn't have a television show... They'd be holed up in some uh, some asylum. But that's the nature of uh, MSLSD. A conga line of freaks and frauds who get TV shows. And they're attacking this company, Sinclair. Sinclair is owned by or run by individuals who are conservative, is my understanding. And they're expanding or trying to expand their reach 
through local TV. They might create a network to compete with Fox and so forth. These are the rumors. And so they're already under attack. Because they put out a statement for their news people to read, which states, and I'm paraphrasing, in essence, that we don't believe in fake news, that we're going to try and put out information that is that can be uh, you know, evaluated as, as truthful or as objective as possible. Along those lines. And they're attacked, you see, because they had their news people read that, and they said, look at that. Look at this right-wing network or wannabe network, this major media outfit. Look how they control their reporters. Now, I don't think CNN and MSNBC quite get it. You can't tell the difference between Brian Stelter and Don Lemon and so many other the hosts on CNN. You can't tell the difference between the Scarborough bobbleheads and Matt Al and all the other morons over there, Chris Matthews and so forth. I put them out of my head for my own sanity. So there's a quiet understanding. Hey, look, we all have to be left-wing, anti-Trump kooks. And that's what they are. But you know what? It would be refreshing if every news organization put the statement out that Sinclair did and had their, their news people read it to you. What their goal is, what their purpose is, and what their goals are not. That would be perfectly fine. But any excuse to attack. And here's the dumbest of the dumb, Joe Scarborough. Woody the Woodpecker. Cut seven, go. We conservatives uh, mock. First of all, you're not a conservative blowhard. You're a buffoon. You're a fraud. Fake. At the top, please. Cut seven, go. We conservatives uh, mocked forever um, the Soviets and the fact that the state would type out their scripts and they would read. Okay, let me let me let me help him. I don't believe he did very well in his SAT. Let's see, the Soviets, the Soviet Union. Wasn't that a country, ladies and gentlemen? Sinclair. Is that a country? Is Sinclair a country? I'm just curious. <laughs> I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. There was a long piece in National Review Online on March 13th, and they reposted it, and I read it, and I thought it was fantastic, by a gentleman by the name of Michael Duran, who I've had on the show before, but who I met over the weekend. He's an absolutely terrific guy. Michael, how are you, sir? I'm well, thanks. How are you? I'm doing very well. Um... This is a long piece. It's an involved piece, but it kind of lays out what's been taking place here, the real collusion story. Now, it's not going to be easy, but can you hit the main points and pull it together for us? Uh, Sure. The main points are that uh, the Obama administration, I actually believe it's the president, but I can't prove that. But the Obama administration wanted to help Hillary Clinton win the election, 
And so John Brennan, the former director of the CIA, um, pushed Comey, the director of the FBI, to open an investigation of the Trump campaign during the campaign based on the information from the Steele dossier. And the reason, the reason Brennan wanted, them to, wanted Comey to do this was to leak the information to the media so that the story that Trump was under investigation by the FBI would get out um, in order to influence the, the influence the election, so a lot of the story, the, one of the reasons that the piece is so long, is that I had to piece together a lot of the evidence, um, and uh, it's a quite a convoluted story because they wanted to leak it, you know, through intermediaries without being uh, seen. So the the direct fingerprints of the FBI are kind of hard to find, but enough information has come out through these congressional investigations to see it clearly if you, if you, uh, um, if you have an open mind. Give us a few examples, and um, this could also explain why Brennan is out there really taking front, uh, pounding away on Trump. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, I think actually that the Brennan, um, the surprise for me when I did this, when I investigated this. By the way, you're the guy who led the way on all of this. I mean, you you started this thing off. Wait a minute, you're not allowed to say that. You're not allowed to tell anybody that. No, no, no. No, it's totally true, because uh, you remember you did this dramatic thing where you said, do they, meaning the media, do they actually read their reporting? Because they've been reporting for for months that that, uh, the Trump was under investigation. And so what I did, now that a lot more information has come out, is I just went back through the media and I looked at the lies that they told and the story that they told, and I pieced it all together through the stuff that's in the, in the media. But the big surprise there was the role of John Brennan, because he, um, he was uh, the, the ringmaster of this thing. One of the things that he did was, uh, you know, he, as the director of the CIA, he is not allowed to investigate Americans. That's why he's batting, he's bat, pounding his fist on Comey's desk all the time, wanting Comey to open up the investigation because the CIA can't do it. But and the CIA can't put information about Americans out into the you know out into the um, into the media. So Brennan worked through intermediaries. One of them was Harry Reid, and he went and he briefed Reid on things that he had no right to brief Reid about about investigation of Americans. And then Reid then went public with it in a letter to Comey, which which Reid uh, gave to the media, saying you must open an investigation. I I have information about the connection between Trump and the Russians, um, and so on and so forth. Now, did he have to convince Comey, or was Comey easily convinced? It took, uh, um, Comey was, uh, I, the way I understand Comey is he was, he was kind of balancing between the Trump campaign and the Hillary campaign. He would, he would anger one of them, and then he would go and anger the other. Um, and so Comey was, was put up some resistance, but he was not difficult to convince. Mm-hmm. And what was Harry Reid's role in all this? Harry Reid's role was to was to um, publicly pressure Comey and to help Brennan get information out into the media. And Reid, so Brennan goes to Reid, right? Right. And what does he go to Reid with? He goes to Reid with the Steele dossier, uh, and he and he tells uh, he tells Reid that. Uh, that Carter Page, 
has met with with senior Russian officials in Moscow to cut a deal with the Russians. Um, in return, the Carter Page advisor to Trump on the Trump campaign. Um, in return for Putin's help getting Trump elected, Trump will will drop the um, will 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 lift the sanctions on Russia. So we have the former head of the CIA, who, by the way, had voted for Gus Hall, the communist, for president of the United States when he was a young man. I don't know how he got cleared to do anything. But (laughs) the former head of the CIA under Obama, while he's head of the CIA under Obama, going to Harry Reid. Harry Reid pressures Comey. And separately, Brennan's been pressuring Comey, correct? That, uh, uh, presumably, yes. There's a, we know, you know Brennan himself has basically said that there was a fight between the FBI and the CIA over the question of whether Russia was helping the, um, Trump or not. Um, so that's going on behind the scenes. And then basically, uh, Brennan took it public through, uh, through Harry Reid. Do we know if Brennan had any role in the FISA applications? Was he pressuring any of that? Um, we don't we don't know that, and Brennan himself has denied that he even knew that the, the Steele dossier exi- that, that he that he had seen the the, the contents of the Steele dossier. I, I won't waste time on why I think that that's a um, un, uh, not a credible denial. But what 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 I do think, and I did not go into this deeply in the article because I can't prove it, but I can see there's a lot of smoke here. The initial investigation into the Trump-Russia connection came, you know, it started with this guy Papadopoulos. That information came into our system through the CIA. And then the CIA, Brennan took it, placed it on Comey's desk and said, open this investigation. Can I hold you over the, uh, over the break? I have a few more sure. questions related to this. All right, I'm talking to Michael Duran, who is a terrific writer, thinker, and we'll be right back. America's most powerful conservative voice, The Mark Levin Show. Dial in now, 877-381-3811. I wanted to tell you about a little-known part of our tax code that's benefiting millions of Americans just like you. And now's the time to take advantage of it, given the tax season is here. Retirement and investment experts know it as 408M3, and it could help protect your IRA or 401k from the devaluation of the American dollar and potentially increase your long-term profits and minimize your capital gains tax. You see... The stock market's been tanking. It goes up a little, then it tanks. It goes up a little and tanks because of the uncertainty of what's going on in many, in many sectors now. Now, this section of the tax code allows you to take control of your retirement account and invest in physical, precious metals like gold and silver. You can even transfer funds between existing retirement accounts without penalty. And the process is easy. The folks at PM Capital can tell you all about it. So call them right now. Learn how to diversify so when the stocks go way down and keep up a little and way down, you'll be prepared. (coughs) Now, let's see. You can even transfer funds, as I said. So call them right now and learn how this little-known part of our tax code, 408M3, 
may help you protect and grow your retirement account. Call 877-382-2503. That's 877-382-2503. 877-382-2503. Or visit marklevingold.com. That's Mark, L-E-V-I-N, marklevingold.com. Back with Michael Duran with his great piece. Michael, one of the things you put in your piece is Mike Morrell, the former deputy director of the CIA, helps explain what you call this delay. Morrell did some digging into Christopher Steele's dossier. This is the part I wanted to get to. And shared the results of his research at a public forum in Washington in March 2017. Steele, according to Morrell, did not have... Now, this is the key. He didn't have direct access to the Russians whom he labeled as his sources, sources for his dossier, people who included former officers in the FSB, the new KGB. He, quote, communicated with them, if that is the right word, through paid intermediaries who paid the so-called sources. So the chances that Steele was played by these Russians, you say, is quite significant. So the, the Russians were not his direct sources. No, no, he, it's exactly right. I mean, the as a as a reliable, accurate uh, source of information about what's happening at the highest levels of the Russian government, uh, Steele's dossier is absolute junk, and that comes from Mike Morrell, who was a staunch Hillary supporter. Mm-hmm. So we we should immediately immediately just discard any idea that there's any serious information in here. The only interesting questions are, is this disinformation coming from the Russians designed to, uh, to create tension in our own system? Or is this stuff just made up, basically, by the Hillary Clinton campaign to further its propaganda? And those, the, the, it can be both at the same time, of course. Now you have a whole section on this. Where did this collusion thesis come from how did this start it's it, it's a response to the dnc hack it's the, the dnc hack is so embarrassing to hillary clinton because because it is um alienating all of the bernie sanders voters um and so they they need to come up with a way to deflect attention from the picture of hillary clinton that comes out of those dnc emails and what they come up with is the steel dossier if you look at if you go back and you look at the timing of the, the of the 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 reports in the dossier and the substance of the reports the heart and soul of it is all about the dnc hack and blaming the hack on donald trump and yet Look how this thing took off. So they had to they had to more than plant the seed. They had to promote it, right? They had to promote it. They had to put a face on it. I mean, the the, the funny thing, it's, it would be ludicrous if we hadn't spent over a year hearing about this nonsense as if it's serious, is that the guy, the, what the Steele dossier says about the DNC hack is that it is the brainchild of Carter Page. Jeez. Carter Page is, we, the, the Steele dossier has Carter Page in uh, mild-mannered, Carter Page. So you can look. You look at this guy on TV, and you can see in one second this is not a guy who is running um, international criminal conspiracies. Who is who is an intermediary for Donald Trump in Moscow, and so on and so forth. It's ludicrous. I want to ask you something, Mike, and you don't have to agree with me. When I started putting these articles together last March, right, and, said, and, and started putting them together, I could see these leaks were intended to hurt Trump's campaign, then his transition, then his presidency. 
And that's what the purpose of the leaks were. And then I said, wait a minute. That may be what they're trying to do. But we have espionage going on here. Look at this. They're leaking about a FISA court. They're leaking about this. Now, I didn't know about Carter Page and everything, but I was putting together what they were leaking to try and hurt Trump. And I made a different argument than the leakers, which was there's domestic espionage going on here based on what? And the, the kickback, the pushback was so aggressive and so ubiquitous. I even said to my wife, I hit something here. I hit a nerve because otherwise they would just blow this off. <laughs> you did. You did, and we haven't. We still don't know the extent of it, Mark. It's huge. This is the big. This is much bigger than Watergate. They were. I didn't play up the domestic espionage angle because that's the one that everyone has been hitting on the most. Mm-hmm. What I what I wanted to show was this the the fact that one of the reasons that they wanted the investigation was in order to leak the existence of the information to the, the to the media but 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 we sh- I, I don't mean to, to downplay the the, the the domestic espionage element at all it's it's there and it's important and we have not gotten to the bottom of it i mean we have cia men who are involved in on the domestic side because they're meeting with reed in in the case of brennan trying to push the fbi uh that, to me, is incredible. And, you know, Brennan's been in front of these committees a few times, and they've really never nailed him to the wall, have they? No, they haven't, and they can't, because they don't have subpoena authority. And the, the, what, I, I'll tell you where I think that the, the, we still haven't even begun to, to look into this thing deeply, and that, the number one is the Papadopoulos stuff coming out of London. How did, the, how did information about Papadopoulos get into the American system? And who who were the who were the people abroad who were reporting? You know, it's the Australia the Australian ambassador to London. By the Five Eyes Agreement, uh, the British the Five Eyes being the you know the the, the British, the Americans, the Aussies, um, and the Canadians, and also New Zealand as well. Though they don't really participate in it much anymore. We share intelligence among us as if we're one country. Um, and according to that agreement, the Five Eyes countries cannot spy on American citizens. We don't spy on the British. The British don't spy on us. So in order to get the Papadopoulos information into the American system, into the CIA, which could then use it to activate the FBI, they had to work, again, through intermediaries, people that are, qua- that are sort of in the intelligence world but not. And once people start digging into that, they're going to see it's a, it's a very ugly story. So what uh, you're thinking at least the beginning of your thesis, the outline is this. It's not as they explained it, that the guy was in a bar and was popping off. It's something that was planted, perhaps. You know, I, I, yeah, that's, what I, that's, what I, uh, that's what I think needs to be investigated. I'm a little hesitant to start coming out with big theories about it because I just don't know. What mm-hmm. I can tell you is it stinks to high heaven. I I worked in the White House in the George W. Bush administration, mm-hmm. and there I uh, there are Washington D.C. is full of foreign spies. You're bumping up against foreign spies all the time. The FBI knows this; it knows who they are a lot of the time, right? You just well, I'm talking about the story, the Papadopoulos story. The Papadopoulos story is that he bumped into some Russian spies. He didn't he didn't actually collude with them. If he did, then Mueller would have indicted him for that. Right, mm-hmm. but he bumped into them, and we're saying that on the basis of the fact that he had some interaction, which appears to have been unwitting interaction with the spy, they opened up an investigation into the Trump campaign. It's nonsensical. 
people bump, American officials bump into foreign spies all the time, and the FBI doesn't open up investigations on the basis of that. And that's apparently what Mueller's doing with this guy, Gates, the deputy campaign manager. Nobody's saying there was collusion or anything of the sort, but it's leaked to CNN that he spoke to or met with a spy. So, exactly. And, and for, first of all, also very, it's, this is also very suspicious. I mean, it, it, it doesn't pass the smell test. But Mueller is, Mueller is simply continuing the, 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 a process that was established under a completely fraudulent basis, in my opinion. All right, Michael Duran, we much appreciate it. Anything else going on in your life that we should know about? I, all I want to do is just, if you don't mind, I just want to say the title of the article, which is The yes. Real Collusion Story on National Review Online. The Real Collusion Story, and it's worth reading all of it because we only covered like 10% of it. All right, Michael Duran, much appreciated. You take care of yourself. Thank you very much. All right. It's really a hell of a, hell of a piece. It's uh, like 14,000 words, 15,000 words, so you need to be patient. But let me tell you, it reads like a spy story, and you heard. He doesn't deal in conjecture or anything of that sort. He he tries to deal in in facts, excuse me, in facts and put the pieces together. So it's a very important piece, and I posted it on my Facebook and Twitter sites, Mark Levin Show Facebook, Mark Levin Show Twitter. We'll be right back. Mark Levin. Folks, it's time to give your bathroom the cleaning it deserves. Get rid of all the junk that's lying around. Freshen it up with high-quality products from Dollar Shave Club. Dollar Shave Club delivers everything you need to look, smell, and feel your best. Razors, shea butter, shampoo, body wash, toothpaste, everything. I get an amazing high-quality shave using my Dollar Shave Club executive razor. Now, you might say, well, Mark, you have a beard. First of all, I don't have a full beard. And secondly, it has to be a damn good razor to cut around my beard and my mustache. It really does. And it does an excellent job. And their Dr. Carver's Shea Butter is fantastic. It goes on clear so you can see where you're shaving. And since DSC delivers everything to you, you don't have to set foot in a store wandering the aisles hunting for razors, shampoo, body wash, toothpaste, none of it. Clean up your bathroom and your morning routine. Join Dollar Shave Club today for just 5 bucks. With free shipping, you'll get the six-blade executive razor plus trial sizes of shea butter and body cleanser. Then keep the blades coming for a few bucks more a month. Now, how do you get it? Get yours at dollarshaveclub.com slash mark. It's that simple. dollarshaveclub.com slash mark. One more time. So you can type it in as I'm speaking. dollarshaveclub.com slash mark. All right, let's roll. John, Huntsville, Alabama, the great WVNN. Go. Mark, uh, just let me tell you how much we appreciate you down here in Alabama. Thank you. Thank you very Uh, much. You're welcome. It's a great state. I've been there many, 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 many times. Yeah, well, you're always welcome, and uh, and barbecue is good here. Oh, you're at Gibson's. There's other good ones, too, but that used to be my favorite. (laughs) Mark, I, I, you know, having been educated as a doctor of not only medicine and philosophy, I find myself replete with answers to 
simple questions, and I default to common sense. So my, mm-hmm. I want you to educate me on, it seemed like Barack Obama could always get what he wanted. And in this caravan of people coming over, are they not going to be dropped off at a point someplace? Can can Donald Trump not not uh, go to where the people are going to be dropped off and say, hey, uh-uh, we're not going to do this? We're going we're to stop this caravan of people in, in a kind way. I'm sure he's looking at every option he has. I'm sure he's asked the lawyers to look at every option they have. It's going to be very tough uh, because there are procedures in place. They are lousy procedures that are in place. They're relatively new to our country in the last few decades. The Democrats refuse to change them. So uh, that's part of the problem. People come across it's caught and um, you're, they're caught, and then uh, you can detain them briefly. Then you have to take them in front of an administrative law judge, or they have to promise to come uh, in front of a, a administrative law judge on a date certain. It could take up to two years, and many of them just disappear. Right, right. It's well, a disgrace. That, that, as you described earlier, that's that's a really flawed system. Well, what kind of country does this to itself? No, it doesn't, and and I think it's I think it's especially cruel to the people coming. Um, I think we've got better hands in place to to manage these people in a kind way, uh, but yet uh, we have laws. You know, they, they just can't come here. Yeah, well, they do. And we have a party in place that not only lets them come here, but gives them sanctuary. And uh, it's just quite a mess when you have lawlessness, and that's what we have. All right, my friend, I much appreciate your call and all the folks in in Alabama. All right, let's see here. J.D., Las Vegas, Nevada, on the great K-Don. K-D-W-N, go. Thank you, sir. It's such a pleasure to to listen to you on any of your points, all your immigration suggestions are uh, are, are profound and should be followed by the president. Uh, I want to also tell you that I had the pleasure of meeting Larry Arn last week here in Las Vegas at a seminar that he had uh, with a good friend of mine, the young Eagle Scout Noah and his dad. Uh, Noah reads all your books, and uh, I think Noah's talked. called the program. He's a good kid. He's talked to you a couple of times. Yeah, I remember he, Noah. Yep. He's going. He's going on to BYU, and he's going to be a scholar. And uh, All right. we need a couple of more kids like him. Maybe uh, he's in tune with Barry Goldwater, and he's right. in tune with Everett, Everett Dirksen types. All right, let's maybe let's roll, get, baby. Go ahead. We get a few few more of those guys. Yep. And, so you uh, met Larry Arn. How'd it go? Uh, he first of all, this is the second time they've been out here. Uh, everything is precision, right on time. He comes out exactly at, at seven o'clock. He speaks, and he has such a dry sense of humor, as you probably well know. Mm-hmm. He mentioned your uh, your uh, Federalist Papers in Washington that you donated, but his mm-hmm. sense of humor and how he talks about meeting with the education uh, uh, members uh, that are running our education department and asking them questions: Have you ever taught? And the answer is no uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> and he just ridicules so many so many education theories that are out there but anyhow it's a great event and uh, he, he has such a dry sense of humor and he loves you all right and i love him he's terrific thank you jd we appreciate it mara aurora illinois the great wls go 
Hey, Marco. Great to talk to you. Um, I would like to know if we legally would be able to start a GoFundMe page for the American citizens to donate funds to build the wall. We we pay for it anyway with tax dollars. No, I mean, we can do it. But like I told the a prior caller, how would we get eminent domain over private property to build a wall when only government can do that? Government will still do it. We'll just donate the funds to the federal government. Well, but 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 we donate the funds to the federal government. They can spend it on anything they want. We can't tell them what to spend it on. Maybe not. I thought it was a creative way. I mean, tax dollars. It's creative, but it won't work. Yeah. Okay, thanks. All right, Mara. Oh, well. Don't mean to upset people. Well, some people I do. Gary, Green Bay, Wisconsin, the great WTAQ. Quickly, roll. Mark, you have... You have answered my birthday wish. I turn 54 tomorrow. I appreciate you taking my call. Um, my well, happy my birthday, brother. Reallocating them. You better get this guy's number, ladies and uh, gentlemen, my, uh, my call screener and producer, because we got to go. And it's his birthday. So don't forget, we need to call Gary back. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel, and you, the American people. Thank you. Check out Levin TV tonight. I know you're going to like it. I know you will. And I'll see you tomorrow. God bless.